so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Marriage is designed by God, and it can be both beautiful and difficult. Many Christian couples might feel as though their marriage is unredeemable. But John McGee and Scott Kadersha encouraged struggling marriages with the redemptive work of the gospel at our national conference. Let's listen to their talk now. Uh, My name is John McGee, and this is my friend Scott Kadersha. We are at Watermark Community Church, uh, which is about 20 miles just down the road to the east here. And so uh, 16 years ago, I was given a job I did not want, I was not excited about. I became the marriage pastor at Watermark Community Church. And um, so most of you are in roles that you were excited about that you took uh, because you wanted to. Uh, I was mad, really, really mad. And, you know, for me, uh, I, was, I was so frustrated by it because, you know, here I was a young man. I wanted to do something that mattered. I wanted to have an impact. I wanted to... I wanted to do something that was going to last, and on and on and on. And uh, you can probably, sitting where you're sitting, you can probably understand the irony of that because uh, after about two years in, I realized what an amazing gift, what an amazing gift uh, I'd been given to invest in the the marriages both at our church and uh, in the community. And so that was 16 years ago, which is hard to believe, and uh, a little over 12 years ago, we brought on uh, Scott, and so he and I have kind of been in the foxhole together building this thing. And today we're going to tell you about one of the components that we use at our church uh, called re-engage. And so when we think about marriage ministry, we think about four quadrants. This might be helpful uh, to you. Uh, we think about prepare, establish, enrich, and restore. We think about prepare as preparing uh, nearly weds. That's a traditional premarital prep. We think about uh, establish. We think about are those newlyweds, there's an amazing opportunity as soon as couples get married uh, to invest in them. It's, an, uh, it's a, just a really unique time. Like, like no other, you can, uh, while the cement is still wet, you can invest in them. Um, the next category is enrichment, and probably what you would expect. Anything that you would do to kind of help couples thrive and have a good marriage and then restore uh, would be that which, as it sounds, uh, couples who are struggling, right? Couples who um, aren't doing well. Uh, having something for them. And re-engage really is uh, our offering to both enrich and restore. And we say if you're a one and you want to get to a two, or you're a seven and you want to get to an eight, re-engage is a safe place to reconnect, reignite, or resurrect your marriage. And so re-engage is for those who have divorce papers in hand, uh, or they're doing good and they want to get better, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you about uh, re-engage, how we use it at our uh, place. There's about 300 churches around the country that use re-engage with us, uh, which has been really, really fun. As a leader, a lot of times, you know, we just like to take apart the engine of what someone else is doing, and then we can decide, do we want to assemble it the same way, or do we want to do something different? But it's always helpful to understand what others uh, are doing. And so, so we'll tell you some of the nuts and bolts, the why, the how, here in a second, but I think probably the best way to tell you what re-engage is, is to share a story. And so if you guys would uh, watch this with us. Met in college. We dated and we did everything fast. We got married and right out of college we um, had babies. Church was something that we did only on Sunday. And every Sunday there were four of us that walked in and sat in the pew and, and listened, only to go home and put the Bible back on the nightstand and live our life the way we had wanted to for the rest of the week. A lot of our time uh, began being just being invested with our children. And so we began to turn outward, and I began going to a gym in the afternoon after school. And one afternoon, I met someone, and 
led to multiple conversations, which led to phone calls, which led to texting and, and anything that I could do on the internet to have contact with this person I did until I made the decision to have an affair. One particular evening, the girls called me back into a room and had up on the computer my secret world. Um, phone calls, messages, names, phone numbers, the whole bit. And I just stood in front of them and I said, I need to be the one to tell your dad. So as the story began to come out, just um, the hurt and the pain that rushed in was unbelievable. When she told me, um, it shocked me, but she just kind of gave me the Swiss cheese version of what happened. But after doing a little investigating that day and talking to a few people, I knew it was a lot more. We ended up going to counseling and ended up talking to uh, a couple that counseled couples with uh, marriage problems, and then they ended up pointing us to Watermark. We showed up the next Wednesday night. There was a couple that came to the front and began to share a story about their marriage. And the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, they, they are really talking about what's going on under that roof and nobody does that. And I just remember kind of squirming in the chair. And But then there was a part where I just found myself leaning forward on the edge of the seat. And as she began to share just the brokenness in their marriage and then how she quickly came back in with how God came and God healed and put a marriage back together. And I just was hooked. I, I was coming to re-engage with, with the the one that didn't have the issue, it was Susan. And so I was really there about getting her fixed and not me. So we come back the next week and we go to what's called open group. I wasn't ready to divulge any of the truth at that point, but just to have somebody give us a place where it was safe, where we could come and, and be with other people that were willing to work on their marriage as well was huge. And then once we got into a closed group, being in that circle with about four or five other couples that we kind of spent some time with earlier and then having a leader couple just began to show us biblically what a marriage is supposed to look like. Re-engage for the first time, it was just a pivotal point for me in that the Bible just came alive. Whenever a couple would come in or we would come in and we'd have issues, there was always a biblical principle there for us. There was always something there that, that God had that we could hold on to. As we really began to do that and to just vertically align ourselves with Christ, that horizontally the marriage began to heal. So um, we finished re-engage. We are in the best place that we've ever been in our marriage. The ministry team asked us to come to re-engage and help out. So we show up on Wednesday night and uh, then we find out that night that, hey, you guys are going to give your testimony. We said yes and it was, uh, it was scary, but uh, we did it, and I remember thinking, this is it. I can't come back here. And um, I had a secret. The infidelity didn't start with Susan in 2008. It started with me in the year 2000. I called a friend up that I actually had journeyed through re-engage with. He said, Raw, you, you can have a good marriage. But he said, just know if you never tell Susan, you'll never ha enjoy the love and the intimacy uh, that God wants for you, that God wants for your marriage. That night, I just said I had to tell her. So it was late at night, and I told her. And I actually thought that it might go pretty well, but it didn't go real well at all. I ended up leaving the house that night. About 1.30 in the morning, I got a phone call from a different guy in our community group, and he said, Raw, you need to come home. So I drove home. And before re-engage, and when Susan had mentioned and had told me what had happened with her and uh, had confessed to me, uh, we didn't have anybody really. But here's three couples in our in our room in our house that loved us both, and uh, that were there uh, at 1:30 in the morning. And so uh, Susan always says, you know, who shows up at 1:30 in the morning? And it's God's people. Oftentimes, when we think about what reengage really is, we think about the three components, and it's God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. And so that night, we got to see that come to fruition, just to have people just coming in and loving us and pointing us to His truth, and then to follow up with us 
the next day and the days that followed saying, hey, we're willing to shepherd along beside you. After Raw's piece came out and we realized, man, we have laid everything on the line. You know, it's it's true. The truth does set you free. And it just allowed God to begin to move and work in our lives in a way that we just never thought possible. Reengage brought to us the urgent need for us to follow Christ. It has put our marriage in a place to where uh, we understand when it talks about oneness in Genesis, what that means. Uh, and we're not out for each other. We're, we're out for us together. The hero of that story is the church, right? It's God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. It's not a, a well-known author or a counseling center in you know, a far-off state. It is just the people of God. And I love that story. And there's, there's, it was uh, so much crazier than that, uh, if you wanted to know, and uh, in many ways way more beautiful than could possibly be told in five minutes. And so the rest of the story is uh, Susan kind of from there, both of them really, but Susan especially, she was just kind of shot out of a cannon after that and just shared her story everywhere she went and became kind of a magnet for uh, others who were struggling. And uh, she would call, like, <laughs> call or text. I mean, this is not like pastorally speaking, like every day. I mean, every day she'd send me a text. Hey, I'm meeting with someone. What's a good verse for this? And uh, I'm meeting with someone. Pray for this because they're, they're going to, you know, they got to go home tonight and confess infidelity. And so, and so literally as soon as she was done with school, starting about three, I would start getting text, you know. And, uh, and so I just said, Susan, I don't have time to return all your text and phone calls and emails. Why don't you just come on staff? <laughs> and uh, so Susan, uh, Susan offices uh, one door down uh, from Scott, and she's on our staff. And she talks about how the first time she came to our church, she had a key to a hotel room, and now she's got keys to the church. And, um, you know, that, that story along with countless others just, it, I mean, like it would be in the book of Acts if the canon was still open. And, um, and my, my faith and belief in the power of God has just uh, been exponentially um, increased because of reengage. And so, Scott. Yeah, one other thing on Susan, what, what we've loved seeing in her story is it's not just she and her husband. It's uh, the way that it's changed her children and the way that they love others and care for others. It's her niece and nephew. It's everyone around her and her family. It's anyone she comes in contact with. She's a coffee junkie. And so every day she is buying her venti cup of coffee and also sharing the gospel with somebody else. It is infectious. When her life changed and her marriage changed, it changed so much more than just a marriage between a husband and a wife. That's largely why we're so grateful for this ministry. Uh, a couple of wins, and so the first one I'm gonna talk through is that this provides a very clear path of care for your community, your church, uh, and it comes through enrichment. And so everyone in our body, everyone at Watermark, if they meet a couple who is either struggling and needs help in their marriage, a couple who has walked through infidelity, a couple who just wants to grow in their marriage, they know exactly where to send the couple. They know to send them to re-engage. They don't have to pick and choose which pastor on staff will I send them to. They know every Wednesday night, 52 Wednesday nights a year, that they can send a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker who needs help in their marriage to come join us at Reengage. It allows the church to do what the church needs to do instead of outsourcing to somebody else, instead of a church changing what they do every week. This provides a very clear path for our staff and for our body. We can speak with one consistent voice. We're not six sessions with John or four sessions with me or eight sessions with another guy on staff. We encourage people to come join us at Reengage. It's a consistent voice for our body. I remember the days when we would kind of develop a customized plan for every single couple, <laughs> and uh, man, it killed us, you know? And, uh, and so now when a couple calls and says, hey, John, I want to meet with you, it's like, I would love to meet you. I will meet you 6.30 Wednesday night at Reengage, and I'll introduce you to some friends that I think will be really, really encouraging uh, to you. And if we need to meet afterwards, we totally will, but um, that, that is our plan, and everybody start to finish, uh, and even our community knows. You can just show up uh, at Watermark at the Dallas campus at 6.30 on Wednesday night, okay? So uh, the second thing, very personal to me, uh, Reengage really does help prevent uh, staff burnout. And you guys know, even um, working with couples who are struggling, what an emotional toll uh, that can take. And you, and you do, you build up a resiliency, you just do. Like, like it's like lifting weights. And uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, and and you, can, you can go home 
you know, marginally, um, or not as beat up as you were uh, when you first started this, but it, it'll still take a toll on you. If that, uh, there was a season where literally everybody in our church that had a marital hangnail would call me, right? It would somehow get routed to my phone or my inbox, and it was killing me. And I can remember sitting in my driveway, I had a little white Honda Accord, and I would drive home and kind of finish that last coaching call, and I'd hang up, and I would sit in the driveway, and I would just pray, God, just give me, uh, like, give me the energy to get, get through this next hour. Like, I didn't have enough faith to pray for, like, energy all the way through the rest of the night, through bath time and bed and everything else. I just, can you, can you help me engage for an hour? Because I was so spent. And I, I remember pulling into my driveway a couple years later. The church was bigger. We were helping way more couples. And I go, I, and I, I've got something to give my family. It's been like we're helping more people, and I'm, I am less exhausted. This is amazing. And so it's personal uh, for me, if that's your story, uh, a, re-engage or any kind of plan like that that shares the load uh, is a great next step uh, for where you are in your church. Awesome. Next, it provides service opportunities for the local body of Christ. And so we have seen couples who really enjoy serving together. There's nothing against men's ministry or women's ministry or being on the front line serving This provides a husband and wife the opportunity to use their gifts, to use their story to have an impact on others. This allows the church to be the church. I remember talking to my friend Adam, who uh, is a spreadsheet guy. He's a CPA. I don't even know what a spreadsheet is, but he loves them and he looks at them all day long and gets to the end of the day and he's just exhausted with spreadsheets sometimes. But he talks to his wife and his wife will say, what was the highlight of your day? This is when I got on the phone with a guy, when I got to encourage him in his marriage, when I get to serve and re-engage becomes the highlight of his day. Couples want to use their gifts. They want to use their story, and they get to use their gifts together. Thinking of my friend Clark, who leads a large company and builds homes and loves what he gets to do, but he would say that he feels useful for the first time because he gets to serve with his wife leading in marriage ministry. My friends Kevin and Kelly lead our premarital ministry on Monday night. They get to the end of the day. They have used their gifts well. There are marriages in your body, hopefully, people who want to use their gifts and love others. This provides an incredible way for the body of Christ to be what it's intended to be. This would die if it was just dependent on John and Pam, Scott and Kristen, Susan and Raul. We have uh, the body of Christ. There's gifts given to them to be used And so this provides an amazing opportunity for them to make an impact, to grow their marriage along the way, and to really have a difference, make a difference in somebody's life. Yep. So a lot of times marriage ministry is built around a personality, like one one kind of linchpin couple, and this allows you to involve lots of others uh, through the small group uh, component of re-engage. And uh, unless your church is any different than ours, like, you know, uh, the Clarks of the world, they they feel helpful, useful. they, they feel like they accomplish stuff nine to five, and then they come to church, <laughs> and they can, like, park cars or change babies, uh, you know, or direct uh, people, and, uh, and they, they just want something more, and this is a really amazing opportunity for that, okay? So another thing it does is it really provides a, a great side door into the, uh, into the church. So the front door, you think about kind of your traditional Sunday morning, you know, your uh, your pastor's up there, and he's, you know, working verse by verse through the book of Romans. Um, and so you can invite your friends. Some people will come just curious about uh, your church through the front door. Um, another way into the church is through the side door. And the felt need of marriage um, still, or maybe, and maybe even in new ways, is, uh, is, a, is a way that I think God is using in this cultural moment um, for the church. It's an opportunity. People still have a connotation. The church has something to say, something to offer on this topic. And so, uh, and it's something that, that those who are far from God uh, will take you up on it and they'll come. And especially the more desperate they get, the more willing they are to come and put up with your Jesus talk. Okay. Um, but unless you're, unless your kind of um, neighborhood is any different than mine, I have never had a, uh, a neighbor stop me and ask me a spiritual question. Right? Like, you know, my wife, my kids were walking through the neighborhood and, and a guy walks out with a book of Romans and say, I'm reading like verse by verse through here. I got some questions about double predestination. Can you help me like sort this out, right? That has never happened and probably never will in my neighborhood. But in my neighborhood, uh, I've had, 
you know, neighbor behind me, hey, I'm getting ready for, for marriage. Like, do you guys have anything? I got something for you. My marriage is struggling. Do you have anything for me? I got something for you. Okay? And I would say also just parenting uh, as well. That's still a felt need that people uh, will respond to. So at Watermark, about 50 to really 60 plus percent of the people that are there on a Wednesday night don't go to our church. And they, they, uh, some of them go somewhere, some of them go nowhere. And I remember leading a, a newcomers group one night, and there was like, I know it sounds like a joke, but it's true. Uh, it was a, a, a Buddhist, uh, a Muslim, and a Hindu couple, right? It sound, I mean, it sounds like the beginning of, of a joke, but it was really the beginning of uh, just a, a beautiful story, especially for, for one of those couples. Uh, they would never come on a Sunday morning to check this thing out. They said, hey, our marriage isn't doing great. Do you have anything? And they walked in pretty nervous, uh, and every week we'll walk in, and people go, I'm not sure about Jesus, but I've heard you could help me, and so, uh, so I'd love to know some more about what you guys uh, do. Okay, it's a side door into the church uh, that is proving really effective for us and some of the churches around the country. Yeah, next is that it provides a great opportunity to make disciples, and so again, couples will come to us, and they come for a marriage need, a marriage problem, But what they walk out is hearing about the gospel. They hear about Jesus. They hear about how marriage is a picture of God's love for the church. It's not just tips and tricks. They come to us for a felt need, and they get discipled along the way. That better be the why of everything we do. If we ever get to this point, and the why is anything other than making disciples in the glory of God, then we're not doing our job well. And so we get to make disciples through this ministry. Uh, it, It provides an opportunity to disciple and to not just teach tips and tricks. This is not six ways to communicate better, and we will teach very practical help along the way, but what we want more than anything is for their relationship with the Lord to grow. If they're not gonna grow relationally with Jesus, then things are not going to last. It is John 15, five, apart from Christ, we are going to do nothing that sticks or lasts or that is effective. And so they come in for marriage, and we get the opportunity to disciple them every single step along the way. Yeah. So our leaders are super clear. They understand this is a discipleship ministry. Now we don't we don't market that, right? Imagine, you know, in the community, marriage discipleship class. Come on Wednesday night, you know. Like nobody's coming uh, to that, right? No one's coming. Um, and so we say, um, you know, to our leaders, we say, hey, metaphorically, when couples walk in to reengage uh, above above the uh, the doorway, it should say, "Welcome to our marriage ministry," right? And when they leave, they should look up and, and it said, thanks for coming to our discipleship ministry. Right? So they will come with a marriage need and they, they should leave knowing they had a Jesus and gospel need. And that, that's so fun. Every, every time at celebration and when it's all done, they said, hey, we thought we had marriage problems. We had a Jesus problem. And, uh, and I never would have come to fix my Jesus problem. I came to get my marriage problem. I got the Jesus problem fixed and my marriage is better. Okay? And everything you do is driven back to Scripture and driven back uh, to Christ, and you have that felt need in which to operate uh, out of. And so it's an, it's an amazing opportunity. And you should do I mean, I, I'm kind of knocking discipleship ministry. Like, do that. Teach people how to read uh, and memorize and meditate on Scripture. Do those kind of things. But this is also a way uh, to do so. Okay? Yeah, and you, uh, you know what this looks like. Couples will show up and they'll say, I'm here to fix my spouse. The problem is a person that I'm married to. Sure, I've done a few little things, but he's really the problem. If you would fix him, then our marriage will be better. And we'd go, hey, one of the phrases we use all the time is, is draw a circle around yourself and work on everybody inside that circle, which is, is really just, it's Matthew 7, three through five fleshed out that I'm gonna get the log out of my own eye before I worry about the speck in my spouse's eye. They struggle with forgiveness, and so we get the opportunity to talk about the way that you forgive is the way that God has forgiven us through Christ Jesus. And so the problem is not my spouse. The problem is me. And so I'm going to work on me, and then I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and God's people are going to work on my significant other. So it's all about discipleship. We have a heavy bias of working on yourself first. It's the one person you have maximum control over. It's the one person you're ultimately accountable for. And so before you go lobbing grenades or pointing out specs, Work on yourself, 
you want a great marriage, you draw a circle around yourself and fix everybody inside the circle. And uh, that is a metaphor that will stick uh, with couples. You can use that whether you usually engage or not. And it's, I think it's one of the best places uh, to start because they, uh, they've got control. So uh, it positions the church as kind of the relational uh, hospital and university in your city. And I would say also kind of a CrossFit box or gym right? Um, And so what you want your church, you want the connotation in your church. This is like a big kind of envisioned future. You want your church to be the place that people would go to when they're like preparing for marriage, right? I mean, they they would go, I can go anywhere to prepare for my marriage, but I'm going to go to the best place, right? Like, because we can just be honest, there's a difference between community college and Harvard, and everybody knows it, right? And you want to be the Harvard of marriage. Like, that's where I'm going, they all, every time I meet somebody from there, their marriage is awesome, right? Everybody I meet sometime from Harvard, they're the CEO. I want to go to Harvard, okay? If I want a great marriage, I go there. It could be the CrossFit box. Like, yeah, is CrossFit a thing? I don't know where you are. There was a cult-like status here in, um, in, in Texas. And so, you know, uh, even if you've never been in a CrossFit box, you don't know how it works. It seems kind of silly to you. There's no denying that you saw some very out-of-shape people a couple years ago, and you asked, man, what in the world happened to you? They're like, dude, I go to CrossFit. Everything's changed, okay? And you want that to be uh, the same, same connotation in your marriage. Uh, and your, for your church, for marriages, people go, what happened to you? I've been going to this church, this marriage thing. Man, I'm like, we're, we're doing awesome. Like, we're, we love each other. We can forgive, you know, and, and the hospital. You want your church to be the place where that anybody in the community thinks about kind of the marital 911 they think of you. Right? Like, do you know the inner workings of a hospital? You have no idea. You just know that if your friend is sick, I mean, you're driving them there right now, opening the door and busting through and saying, you know, help my friend. You want that connotation uh, in your community about marriage. Like, would, they, would they think, it, would you, are you one of the first places or are you one of the last places? Uh, re-engage or some other plan, whatever you come up with, uh, will help you kind of solidify that. Like, that's where I start. That's where I get better. That's where I go um, if we're not doing well. Okay, your church, you, your church has a connotation, and I think if you start helping people, uh, you'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a new one. Uh, so let me walk you through kind of a, what a night looks like, and then, then we'll break down some of these components, okay? This is what it looks like at our campus, uh, each of our campuses, 52 nights a week, or 50 nights a week. Uh, we don't normally meet the week of uh, Christmas and the week of Thanksgiving, but other than that, uh, we meet every single week um, at our campus. Some of our churches only meet in semesters. It works better for them. Uh, we could talk about that later. But we start with leaders meeting at 5.30. We'll talk through some of that. And uh, we have a meal. People will come as quickly as they get there. Some people are there at 5.30. Some people can only get there at 6.15. And so but that's where we gather all of our small group leaders together. It's, it's like family. It's, uh, uh, it is the bar at Cheers, right? You walk in and everybody knows your name and uh, you're glad you're there. They're, they're glad you're there. Uh, a lot of fun. So from there, then we go to um, our large group uh, time and every, our leaders walk over. That's where we meet uh, all the participants. And so we're there until about, normally about 7.10. And uh, we'll do some worship and some teaching uh, there. And then we go to one of three places. If you're there for the very first time, and uh, in our context, you just stay there. And Susan, who uh, you saw the video, she will kind of talk through newcomers. Here's what re-engage is. If you want to take a next step, this is what that, this is what that would look like. Uh, if you've been there more than once, you'll go to open group. You'll hang out there for a few weeks. Uh, and then after that, then you are in a uh, closed group. Okay, And so that's where you start the 16-lesson uh, curriculum. So the way it works, you can kind of think about it like a moving sidewalk. So every week you have someone who's there for the very first time and they take a step on the moving sidewalk. And then you have every single week, you have someone at the very end um, who's there for the, this is their last time and they're stepping off. And so you, you've got this, uh, this constant stream of people in, constant stream of people out. And it allows you to, say, to look someone in the eye and say, I've got something for you in maximum six days. Okay? I can help you in six days. Come to, come to re-engage, as opposed to, let's see if we can get you on the calendar of our senior pastors sometime this quarter. Okay. Worst, worst case is six days. Uh, I'll meet you Wednesday night at 6.30. So that, those are the main components. You want to talk through some of those? Yeah. yeah. yeah so the first is just what does a leader meeting look like? Uh, we meet 5.30 to 6.15 right before uh, the, the main part of re-engage starts. This is our transition time from the day. Uh, most of our folks are either working a full-time job or staying at home with kids all day or running carpool. They show up at 5.30. This is, as John said, family time. We give them a meal. It allows them to transition. 
uh, away from what their day looked like into leadership mode within marriage ministry. For many of our couples who have young kids, this is their highlight of the week because it's like a date night. I drop off my kids, somebody else pours into them for a couple hours, and we get to be with one another serving other couples. We give them a meal, we give them a pregame speech, we do a training some weeks, they get to discuss best practices with other leaders other weeks. Uh, This is one of the ways that we best train our leaders. Folks often wanna know how do you train, how do you equip? We do an initial training before they start and that's after we vet them and after we pour into them, approve them uh, to lead a group and then once they're leading, this is where we do some ongoing training every week. Most of our leaders are, are very insecure, not most, a lot of them, they don't think they have what it takes. And so this is our opportunity every week to remind them that you have everything you need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. We encourage them, we equip them, we challenge them, we uh, give them great counsel on how they can help others. They get to, to learn from other couples who have led before. How would you handle this situation? What would you do in uh, this circumstance when a husband is not engaged and the wife is? How would you best lead in a circumstance like that? We wanna remind them that they have God's word and God's spirit. They have everything they need to lead really well. And so this provides a fun time for us to, uh, to lead, to challenge, for us to get to know our leaders better and is honestly one of the highlights of the week for our team when we get to sit together with our leaders. Love it, love it. So the next component is our large group. Um, and so we will start uh, two components. We've got the worship and then either a teaching or a testimony. So uh, we'll sing a couple songs, uh, start with worship. Some churches do, some churches don't. My axiom is uh, no worship is way better than bad worship, okay? <laughs> and so uh, if this, they're going to give this guy a shot, you know, they can't find any other place. Like, let's stick him in re-engage. Just say, hey, we're not doing worship tonight. No problem, right? Why don't you stand up and just kind of meet some people uh, rather than tanking and, and having to apologize for what just happened. So uh, we'll start there, and then uh, we'll do either a teaching or a testimony. And so testimonies are a ton of fun. Um, the couple will stand up and just kind of share their journey. And uh, generally, there's something in there that was a bit hard. Maybe it was a kid. Maybe there was infidelity. Maybe there was something around marriage. Maybe they were just their own sinfulness and selfishness, uh, those kind of things. And they'll begin to kind of share their story. And and one of the things, if, this, if you don't have a marriage story, if you don't have a crisis, this may not mean anything to you. You might not understand it, but so many couples, man, all they need is just hope that they can make it. And if you give them that, you don't want to bet against them. Uh, but without that, they can't even kind of make it through the next day. And so what, what those testimonies do a lot of times is they kind of hold out hope until those couples can grab it for themselves. I say, hey, look, listen, I've got hope for you. I've got a story. I've seen God do this before. Like, and they go, really? Really? And then they begin to believe it, right? And a, lot, and a lot of times, this happens a lot, couples will walk in and they'll go, oh, we thought, you know, A, we thought we were the only ones, that happens. Or they'll say, we thought we were really messed up. Then we heard those guys, man, we're doing great, you know. Um, and so if you guys can make it through that, no problem, you know, uh, what we've got going on. The other component is teaching. And so we'll generally toggle, we'll share a testimony, or we'll do uh, a teaching. And uh, the teaching has high levels of authenticity as well. And, uh, and we really believe that, that kind of that, that Proverbs 28, 13, you know, that he who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces his sin will find mercy. And so we want to model that from the front. And, it, and it, um, culturally where we are, if you didn't know this, I mean, that, that plays really well. So even when we're teaching, we don't, well, so if I was a pastor 50 years ago, I'd probably stand up and I'd address you guys and say, hey guys, you know what? I used to be just like you. And, uh, but I've been applying these, these verses, and so I'm different than you, but if you do what I do with these verses, then you can be like me. And that, that would have probably played really well uh, 50 years ago. And today when you do that, people are, they're just not interested. They don't believe you. And I think you approach the pulpit or you approach whatever teaching platform you have, and you say, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm just like you. And these are the verses that I'm trying to apply to my life. And when I do, it works well, and I don't always. But let me share with you kind of what I'm learning. And that's the posture of our teaching. And so those one, that's the one-two punch in large group, teaching or testimony. Um, every week they walk in. It's not tied to the curriculum, and we'll just change different topics and different, uh, different speakers. Next, after they leave a large group, if this is your first time coming to re-engage, you go to newcomers. We show them a newcomer video that lets them know uh, some stories, what to expect over the course of re-engage. We let them know if they want to keep moving forward a couple things. One, there is absolutely no quick fix. 
If you're looking to get in here and get fixed in a week or two, this is not going to work. We let them know this is a process over time. We let them know it's typically 16 to 18 weeks when they're with us in a closed group. We let them know logistics. The, the cost is fantastic. It's $75 at our church to go through re-engage. It used to be 50 bucks. That includes kids' ministry for their kids. It includes all the time that they're with us. The price is right. We want to remove every obstacle we can to prevent them uh, from growing in their marriage. We want to do everything we can to work with them on it. We, uh, we help them rate their marriage or they evaluate how they're doing on a scale of one to 10. As John said before, some of them will come in, divorce papers in hand and ready. This is the last thing they're willing to try. Others will come in and they're in a really good spot. They just know they're stuck and they want to grow their marriage. And so they rate their marriage. They come in for either marital enrichment or restoration. We want them to know exactly what this looks like. It is, uh, as John said a minute ago, it is authentic, it's real, it's safe. We want them to know that we want to help them in any way we can to grow in their marriage. And we do that largely through discussing all the expectations uh, and answer any questions they have in, in our newcomer group. Yeah, it's fun. You get to pray. Some couples, inevitably, one couple will stick around. You get to pray and hear their story. It's really, really fun. So uh, from there, uh, we've got open groups. So that after they've been through newcomers, they'll come back to open group. And... Um, and that is a way for them to kind of take a next step, kind of understand what it looks like to sit in a small group. So most of us, I would assume, we can sit in a small group, and if I just said, hey, what's hard in your marriage right now? And you, you could just share, even like with eight strangers, 10 strangers, 20 strangers, no problem. Uh, for many people, that, that is just crazy. And they have never seen it, and they're not sure they want to do it. And so this allows them to take kind of a measured step and just see, see how that all uh, goes down. Okay. It also allows you to make sure that they really do want to be there, because a pretty common scenario is uh, you know, some, some guy's wife is all kinds of mad at him and says, I'm going to leave you. you know, we're never having sex again, whatever, whatever. And he goes, I will do anything. I will do anything you want me to do. And she goes, let's go to re-engage. Okay? And so they'll show up. And if he can get a sense like, hey, I think she's over it, like he's out, right? He's not coming back. And so if you put them in a small group, then you've got attrition uh, there, and it kind of wrecks the small group. And so you want to make sure they want to be there. So we say, you want to put a bit, bit of a speed bump um, that they've got to go over, not, not a roadblock, but just a bit of a speed bump. So they'll be in there kind of three to six weeks, uh, they're learning how to share. Generally, they'll reflect back on what they heard from uh, the kind of the large group experience. And then we also have some curriculum where they can take just kind of a, just you know, one nugget home and have some, uh, a verse and something to, to work on there. But you're helping them take a measured step, making sure they want to be there um, and learning what it looks like to kind of uh, be in community with others. Close group. Once they have been through open group, we know that they're going to stick around, that they really do want to grow in their marriage. We put them into a closed small group. Typically, that is one married uh, mentor, facilitator couple, and then five or six participant couples, typically five couples. Uh, during that time, it is the mentor-facilitator couple who leads them over the next 16 to 18 weeks together. Their job as leaders is not to be teachers. If they're looking for a teaching gig, this is not the one. Their job is not to sit in a circle with other couples and wax eloquent about how great their marriage is and all the things they need to learn from them. Their job is to pastor and shepherd that group. They care for them. They ask good questions. They follow up on the teaching or testimony they heard in large group. They track with them on their homework. They're the ones who will dive in and help resolve conflict between a husband and a wife. They lead that couple or those five other couples over the course of the 16, 18 weeks. Typically, it's about 45 minutes to an hour a night that they're together. They pray together. We have a strong belief that uh, it's not just Rose. It's not just learning in rows, assembly style. We believe in this context of helping couples in their marriage, we want to have both rows of learning and then circles where they can process and grow together. The leaders who lead those groups, as we talked about a while ago, we are providing, uh, those are opportunities to use their gifts to care for other couples. They're vetted, they're couples who we know, who we trust, who we uh, believe can lead other couples really well. We train them. And how to lead those groups, we equip them every week. They are the ones who really dive in with the other couples. They're normal human beings just like the rest of us. They're not paid staff. They're not paid professional counselors or therapists. It's the body of Christ. When we look for couples, we look for a couple of things. We want couples who love Jesus first and foremost. Second, we look for couples who have a marriage that we would say uh, it is worth following them as they follow Christ. 
Third, they have to care about other couples. We want leaders who are willing to invest in others. Fourth, we need couples who are willing to have hard conversations. We can't just sit there and be so nice and kind and pat people on the back. We need leaders who are willing to dive in and get their hands dirty, get into the mess. And so uh, we put a lot of time and energy into picking the right leaders, leaders who will shepherd and care for those groups. What, what else? Love it. On that so the right? curriculum, just so you know, 16, yeah. 16 lessons, a um, couple characteristics. One, the, the lessons are really short. Uh, it's about two and a half pages, okay? So if you're thinking about working with couples that are distressed, know that they don't want, and there's, so one of them, generally the guy, doesn't want to read like 20 pages and have four hours of homework, uh, right? Uh, now, one of them would be elated, generally, but it's generally not the dude, okay? So uh, we wrote that going, let's, let's write this for the guy who doesn't want to be there. And so whatever, whatever you do with that demographic, make sure that you keep it short. Um, they will work through that. They'll have some questions that they work through individually, some questions they share, and then some questions that they'll come back and share with each other. They'll come back in their small group and talk about that, okay? So, um, so that's how that works. And um, I have one other thought on yeah. appealing to the guys. That's, that's one of the things we talk about all the time is everything we do, whether it's pre-married, newly married, enrichment, restoration, we think a lot about what appeals to a dude. We know most often the, the woman will want to work on the relationship or the marriage. And so our branding and our messaging is not... Uh, catered to women, it's catered to guys. So even in the, the colors, the logos, everything that we do, we think through what's going to be appealing to a guy. When we do a marriage conference, the way that we think through all that we do marriage ministry-wise is we whiteboard it and say, what, it, what would we want to go to? We include women in that process, but we won't know that we need to appeal to men. And so we don't put, uh, our, our messaging does not have doves or rainbows or rings, uh, rings in the corner. We are, we're, I mean, we want to appeal to a guy. And so uh, the graphics, the logo, everything that we think through, uh, men are often just going to discount what you're doing. And we want them to know that we're thinking about them, we're mindful of them. We, uh, we don't cater to them while we're there, but we're doing everything we can to get them, to get them there. And so we're very careful about the messaging and the logo and uh, you know, and there, there are additions of the messages or the uh, curriculum is short. We provide additional resources in, online for those who do want to dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah. So, uh, and then we talk about the gospel. There, it, with 16 lessons, really what we start with is the gospel first. This is God's standard of love. You can't meet it. You're broken. You need grace. You're recipients of grace. Therefore, uh, you extend forgiveness. Right? And that's how kind of that starts. The covenant of love of, of Christ is our model um, of our love for our spouse. Okay, you understand that. Now let's give you some practical tips. Now let's teach you how to communicate, how to deal with expectations, how to have uh, conversations around sex. Okay, so it's a bit of a, bit of a soapbox here. Most churches, it's crazy. Uh, Sunday morning, you know, the pastor's got the Bible open and he's yelling at the congregants and, you know, um, and, and the Bible is front and center. And then when it comes to marriage ministry, we shift into like love languages, you know, uh, practical tips and those kind of things. And, and I shared this with the last breakout. Like the research will say, like, if you do that, if you help a couple, uh, if you help my wife and I, Pam, uh, communicate better, we walk in, you do something for, for us for communication, we will have higher levels of marital satisfaction. We'll walk out, we're in the parking lot and going, man, we like being married more than we did when we came in. And over time, pretty quickly, we'll revert right back to where we were. And instead, I think a better way is to help people understand and respond to the gospel and then give them uh, skills that they can operate uh, with out, out of an understanding um, of the gospel. And that's where long-term change without a constant need of a booster shot for the next tip, the next technique. Uh, we've seen it over and over again. Okay, so then lastly, uh, what we have is celebration night. And man, this is like, God, it's so fun. This is the night you, you go home and it's tough to sleep. Um, two things always happen. One, uh, someone stands up and they say, I came here to get them fixed. And I realized that was a problem. Always happens. Um, and then I thought I had a marriage problem. I had a Jesus problem. You, you will hear that. Like, it's like Groundhog Day over and over and over and over and over again. And then like some really cool stuff will happen. Uh, people, it's kind of a tradition. People will bring their divorce papers and so uh, they'll walk in like, hey, we came in with these, not anymore, you know, and they'll like rip them up uh, at their table, you know, in a big celebration. Uh, you'll see uh, a lot of times couples won't wear rings 
And um, this, I mean, this, this one guy, he had to be loaded, but he gets down on his knee and pulls out, I mean, a monster rock and said, I know you haven't been wearing a ring in a long time. Uh, I wanted to upgrade you and, you know, will you still be my wife? And everyone's like, oh, you know, with the, uh, the, uh, the diamond. And then this, this will generally happen as well. Uh, they'll walk in and say, hey, you know what? We came here. We hadn't had sex in two years and uh, we're expecting and so, you know, you always want to say, hey, results may vary, uh, you know, <laughs> so don't come here to fix your infidelity, infertility problems. But uh, we've got a lot of re-engaged babies, and, uh, and it's just fun, right? And so from there, whatever you do, like whenever you have any kind of intervention with your couples, make sure that you have next steps, and that doesn't become an end to itself. Uh, one, one thing we're seeing in churches is they've got like, um, when they think about marriage ministry, they think about creating like this loop of programming and they get, they get couples in this loop and they just want to keep them there. And the next marriage thing and the next marriage thing and the next marriage thing, right? And they're like, that's their goal to kind of justify their existence. No, you want to get them into the life of the church. So you think about your church, you think about small groups, you think about whatever your thing is at your church is kind of like the eight lane highway and re-engage um, it's, it's either a, a place to kind of come off of that for a, sec, uh, a season. It's a frontage road. You hop off and tune up, you know, recharge and get back on. Or it is the frontage road that's the, the beginning access to, uh, to your church. But it's not an end to itself. And so at, at Celebration Night and really anything you do to help couples, you've got to help them think long-term next steps. And that's a big part, really big part of re-engage. But it's, man, it's so fun. It is, it is really, really fun. So... It's, we started Reengage about 10 years ago, started at Watermark at our Dallas campus. Over the course of time, about 300 churches across the country are now doing Reengage. It's in about 38 or 39 states. Uh, question if you are in Hawaii or Alaska and you would like to start Reengage, I'd love to come out and personally help you get that started. <laughs> and so, our, you know, our, our goal is not to get all 50 states. Our, our goal is largely for, for more couples to be able to work on their marriage, whatever the ministry is. We want to raise the awareness of the body of Christ helping marriages. And so we train other churches who are interested. We, uh, we want to see couples, wherever they are across the country, if they're struggling in their marriage, they would go to the Reengage website to be able to put in their zip code and find Reengages all around them. Seven nights a week or five nights a week, they'd be able to plug uh, their zip code in and find a safe place for them to work on their marriage. And so uh, you want to tell them about the resources website? All yeah, that yeah. Thing? So... Uh couple places you can go, uh, marriagehelp.org. You can go and learn about Reengage. Uh, that, that site's being reworked right now. Uh, and then watermarkresources.com uh, will also be uh, a place you can hear about kind of all the other ministries that our church has uh, if you're interested. So I got one last thing. And you have any, you have any other thoughts? Okay. So um, this is hard work. Whatever you do, whatever you're doing for couples, this is hard, like really hard. And uh, this, this is the fun, energetic, or, you know, end of the day, as energetic as you can be, um, kind of plea, and here's what we do, and isn't it great? Uh, I, know, I know it's hard to be in the trenches. And one of the things that's been really motivating, one of the things that's been helpful, one of the things that's, that's seen me through the times when I look down and I see somebody on caller ID and I don't want to talk to them anymore, like I'm just done with them, is to think about um, the fact that my kids someday you're probably going to be going to or calling a church, right? And uh, our kids are 19, 17, 15, and 13. And uh, they all named Christ. They all grew up in a pastor's house, a marriage pastor's house at that, you know. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure they're going to, one of them, at least one of them is going to struggle. And, and I've thought about, and Pam and I, we've talked about this a lot, like what would it be like, right, if our kid, one of our kids, our oldest, his name is Dawson, and he's, he's off to college now. But, you know, what if Dawson got married and he was struggling in his church? He was struggling in his marriage and uh, didn't have a church or was at a church, either one. But he calls and he just says, hey, you know, uh, mom and dad, like, we, we're really struggling. Um, and by struggling, I mean, I'm not sure we're going to make it. Uh, she's talking about divorce talking about taking the kids back to her mom's. Uh, I don't know what to do. She asked specifically that you not call her. Um, I just asked you guys just to pray. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what we can do. Um, crazy thing is, there's this church around the corner, and she said, I'll go with you one time to that church. And um, let's go see if they can help us. But if not, like, I'm out. 
can you imagine at that moment I, uh, the prayers of, of my wife Pam and I? Uh, we just you know laid out in our. I just I've, I've got us in our bedroom, just face down, just tears streaming from our face, just begging God um, for that church, that church that's going to take my son and my daughter-in-law at that moment uh, of need. And knowing that there's kind of, there's lots of different kind of churches. There's some churches that just play games and there's some churches that take this really, really seriously. Um, God, please let it be that kind of church. And when they walk in, like, would you let them love and receive and give grace and also admonish? But man, like, let them, let them take it seriously. And would you have them love uh, my son and my daughter-in-law, right? Because they're important to me the most important thing that I've got. And, and if the church gets this right, then I get to see my grandkids grow up with a mom and a dad and Christmases are gonna be really fun. And if this church gets it wrong, um, it's gonna be tough to see my grandkids. Like, God, please let it be that kind of church. And just thinking about that, thinking about that I've got somebody else's kids um, on the other line, somebody else's kids that are walking through the door. And if they're believers, their parents are believers, literally, like literally, uh, I could be, our church could be the answer to someone else's prayers. And it makes me want to bring my best at this. And, and if you haven't gotten there already, even as important as I think my kids are, because they're, they're my kids, they're, they're believers. And so they're, they're God's sons and daughters. And so every week in your church or your inbox or your phone or whatever it is, you've got God's sons and daughters walking down and they're a mess and they're, and they're a drain and they will frustrate you and they will not be grateful and they will not do what you ask them to do. But they're God's kids, man. They're God's kids and they deserve our best and they deserve some plan, something to help them. And so whatever you do, man, whatever you do, uh, hit a deep ball. Like, do it well. Because uh, maybe my kids would come to your church. Right? I don't know where they're going to live. Uh, there's a very real sense they could wind up in your church, and I hope you have something for them. Um, even if my kids don't, God's, God's kids are coming all the time and steward that uh, incredible opportunity well. So parting thoughts, you want to pray? Yeah, one, one last thought. You know, just it's what you said, John, about bringing our best and the hard work. A large reason we've seen why churches don't do marriage ministry is because the marriages of those who lead the church are not doing well. But it starts at the top of elders and lead pastors and ministry leaders who don't wanna work on their marriage and they know if they do marriage ministry that it might expose some of the issues. That might be some of you in this room and so, you know, a very, very close friend of mine uh, who was in full-time ministry uh, failed recently in his marriage unfaithful and made some really dumb decisions. And I'm watching the carnage that's, uh, that's left behind out of his decisions. And he had so many opportunities along the way to work on his marriage, to ask for help, to be real, to be honest, to confess. And so I would just leave this challenge with you. If you are married, I would say do whatever you need to do to get help whether it's going to re-engage, whether it's going to your pastor, to a friend, whatever it needs to be to work on your marriage, please do not hide in ministry behind a broken marriage. And if you're in a church and, there's, and you're leading in any way and you know the reason why you're not starting a marriage ministry is because you're afraid of getting exposed, that would be a really, really big mess for the body of Christ. And so I would encourage you with everything pastoral and loving in me to tell you to do whatever you need to do to get help in your relationship with the Lord and in your marriage. Don't hide behind it. Don't lead out of a broken marriage. Get the help. The body of Christ is designed uh, to, to be the safe place for us to work. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. For more resources on this topic, you can visit ERLC.com. And join us next week as we hear from Dan Darling on the dignity of the unborn.